0: This is an audio recording of the LendIt Fintech weekly news show. The show is streamed live on LendIt TV, LinkedIn, YouTube, and Twitter at 5 p.m. Eastern time every Thursday. In this fast-paced show, the LendIt News team and a special guest discuss the most important fintech news stories of the past week. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to the FinTech Nexus weekly news show. My name is Peter Renton, chairman and co founder of FinTech Nexus, joined as always by my good friend and colleague Todd Anderson. How are you doing, Todd? I'm well, Peter. How are you? Doing great. And uh, back with us this week, we have the one and only Andrew Dix from Crowdfund Insider. How are you doing, Andrew?
1: I'm doing well, Peter. Good to see you, Todd.
0: Yep, you as well. Okay, let's kick it off. We got a lot to cover today, so um, we're going to kick it off with a Wall Street Journal article um, about Sam Bankman-Fried, so SBF as he is known, a 30-year-old spending one billion dollars to save crypto. I think he might be even spending more than that, to be honest. But uh, he is—he's uh, made some um, some pretty major plays over the last few months. It's becoming. I keep thinking of like the J.P. Morgan coming to the rescue, like nineteen oh seven or whatever, when there was a major recession in the U.S. and and uh, you know this the, J.P. Morgan came to the rescue, and that's sort of what uh, what's happening here, just for, just for the crypto space. And he's um, he's made some good moves, he's made some moves that haven't paid off, but uh, anyway, what do you guys think of think of um, this piece?
2: Well, I think the you know the interesting thing about him individually is. That he doesn't seek some of this, Mm -hmm. and so I think it even makes him more appealing in the end. That he's not one of these rah-rah crypto uh, enthusiasts. He also wants to help remake uh, equities trading and um, other uh, automated uh, or other markets a lot more automated and a lot more real time. Uh, And so I think it it plays into this, um, you know, good of the industry. Um, feeling versus maybe some of the, the crypto um, guys out there that, that can come off really uh, negatively and and way too enthusiastic and screw the banks and, and that type of talk. So um, I think he's also, you know, the, the fact that they made so much money for that period of time has helped boost their coffers. They also raised a bunch of money and has really been able to put it to work to kind of keep either some as a lifeline or, or to, to prop up some companies for an eventual acquisition. Uh, So I think it's, it's been a a fascinating journey. He's become kind of the crypto name these days. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. Well, um, he is, he, he's become like the crypto Fed, the lender of last resort, right? Because everybody's running to him to bet, to get a bailout when you need it. Um, It, I'd be interested to hear which bets you think are, are the good ones, uh, Peter. But first, I'd like to say that, you know, you're right. It does, it does sound familiar. You know, you look at long-term capital management in the 80s and how, you know, the sky was going to fall. And then when, you know, Lehman tumbled, tumbled and, and nobody did anything, um, I think he recognizes this is a time where he has the capital – he has the knowledge that uh, it's better to, to step in and uh, invest or take over companies that have the ability to survive or have some value to it and, you know, it, and help the, the industry and ecosystem mature. Um, obviously, he's shouldering a lot of risk. Clearly, he avoided Celsius. I don't think anybody really wants Celsius. Right. Um, <laughs> I, I think Voyager may not work out so well. Uh, but BlockFi may, and yeah. um, you know, time will tell. Smart guy, I've wa- as I've mentioned before. I've watched him on Capitol Hill doing um, hearings, and he's definitely the smartest guy in the room. Right, right.
0: Yeah. Okay. Speaking of smartest guys in the room, we're going to talk about Goldman Sachs, um, who <laughs> often uh, say that. But I, they're, they're having they're having some challenges. Great, real interesting piece in Bloomberg this week, talking about. Um, the, goal, the, you know, the Marcus checking account, which has was originally promised for middle of last year and now that's obviously uh, um, over a year late and now was supposed to be done by December. And now they're saying they may shelve it for a considerable time because there's, you know, they've had, a, obviously they've had all sorts of problems. We've actually talked about their problems on the show in recent weeks um, with, you know, a, a, you know, executive le- executives leaving. There's infighting in in the in the leadership, and you know the thing about it is, the checking account is so competitive these days. Lots of big banks spending fortune on it, and um, yeah, it's uh, you know when are we going to see the Goldman Sachs checking account, the Marcus checking account, I should say. And uh, I was actually looking forward to it, but um, who knows if
2: and when it's going to come. I think there is a a real uh, possibility that we don't see it
0: mm-hmm.
2: um, at this stage uh, I think we probably still will uh, if you you know had to bet but um, you know I think there's a, a distinct possibility they could shelve it all together um, and figure out you know another avenue I think you know the the next piece or I think we can even rope it into this conversation with Ron Chevlin's piece is you know how he talks about where the checking account is going I think Peter and I disagree a little bit in the current state of the checking account. I think it's still very much core to a person's financial life today. Um, I think in the future, maybe not. Um, but people still route most of their activities through a core checking account and have ancillary accounts. And um, I don't think Mark, the more Marcus delays, the the less chance it's going to be an impactful product. That's for sure
1: you know uh, you know when you uh, when you guys brought up the, the Bloomberg article I went back and I looked at their q2 earnings uh, which i sat I listened to um, which are always edifying largely due to the analyst questions and not the actual report uh, but it it didn't sound at that time that that they were you know having these types of of struggles, and that was you know weeks or or a month or so ago, a couple months ago. So it, it makes me wonder what else is going on now. What are they seeing in the economy today, and how is that impacting their their business during this quarter and, and the following quarter? Um, of course, the you know the, the the Bloomberg article could be off base. You know somebody's leaking something to be you know salacious or ulterior motives. We won't really know. Until the next, you know, quarterly report, or they make a statement in advance of that. Um, I don't know if you guys want to jump into the 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 the, the article. I will say this is that paycheck motels. I kind of like that. You know, I think- <laughs> He's been using that term
0: for a little while. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
1: It's it, it's it's kind of it's kind of true, and you know, I, I think you know, Todd, you're right. You know, people just funnel their money to the 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 checking account because you need kind of a current account and that tends to be the one i mean why put it in a savings account you're not making any real money there right yeah and i think that's
0: the thing that i still see like when you get your pay in wherever your pay goes it may you know even if you even if you're just using it as a way to disseminate the rest of your money it's still that's the place that is going to be central in your, I think, in your th- in in your consciousness in Hawaii because that's where your money's going in. That's the big that the plus side of the column is with that account. And so I think there's, I think that's a pretty powerful thing. Still, I don't quite agree that with shovel. I think we may, you know, as time goes on and we may, you know, we get to programmable money and 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 you know, whole kind of different infrastructure in play. Who knows? But I think today. I think the checking account is still really important. I also think Marcus is going to do it. I think they've probably gone too far down to, to um, you know, they're not going to cancel it. I don't think. But,
2: I do uh, think that the what? on the checking account part, I do think as um, more, um, you know, payroll linked things like uh, I think it's Argyle and, and um, you know, atomic more of those options are out there that make switching and, and um, you know, Where your pay goes, very, very simple. I think you'll see the checking account be less and less important. There's not a ton of that out there yet. Uh, And it's not, for most people, it's not that simple to kind of toggle a number just yet. If it gets to that point, I think it makes the checking account a lot less valuable. But today, the checking account, I think, is still super valuable. Mm
1: -hmm. The checking account is just a hook. It's, It's everything else you want people doing there. And their build out has been methodical, to be you know diplomatic, um, <laughs> but it's it's just a it's just a hook. You want all these other ancillary services of you know transfers and, and wealth and lending and and more, uh, you know, interacting or intertwining services. Mm-hmm. But the the check checkbook can be uh, the starting point. I still think they're going to come out um, before the end of the year unless something catastrophic happens like, I just don't see them delaying any further for something like that right
0: right well we we'll will see. see we will be reporting <laughs> on it if and when it happens because <laughs> waiting for some time uh, yeah. okay let's move on um, ramp uh, we uh, we know ramp from there really from their you know their spending management their corporate card they were sort of a brex competitor before brex kind of uh, Went away from uh, from the small business side of things, but Ramp is doing um, buy now pay later for business. I th- I'm I'm really bullish on this category. I think it's it's got a lot of legs, and uh, they are they're coming out with their own product. It's there's there's no big brand yet in buy now pay later for business. I think um, yeah, there's going to be Ramp wants to be one of them. They've got this new Flex product where you can basically Pay back in thirty sixty or ninety days for a small fee and um, you know who know like who knows where the traction is it's a little bit more challenging because you know small businesses are more complex than consumers but uh, I think um yeah, I think this is a good move from, from
1: I mean, maybe you can ex- explain to me you know why is this just semantics because <laughs> You just have all these other, you know, businesses that are providing credit to to SMEs, you know, based on invoicing and and other things. Uh, Do we, should we really call it BNPL? Or maybe it's just because it's a buzzy term, it, you know, raises its profile. Are we talking about semantics? It's all credit, right? Yeah.
0: I mean, it is somewhat semantics, but I mean, this is a whole idea of BNPL is, you know, you pay pay regularly over a short period of time. I
2: think it's, it's kind of more productizing the invoice uh, financing industry and in smaller incremental payments versus right now it's, you know, you send out the invoice and then you're hopeful to get it paid in whatever the time period is. This gives businesses to say, all right, I'll pay, you know, 30% of it X amount of times or however the, the payment fees are. I think it, I guess, gives the, the, the lender a bit more, um, of a um a hold on all right they're actually going to pay this back versus an invoice paid in full in 30 60 or 90 days uh but yeah i mean in some ways it is semantics
0: yeah and like we had um you know we had a our usa event we had um funbox and visa making the announcement that they you know funbox is doing buy now pay later with visa and it you know it, again it's, it's 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 you can call it a loan you can call it um you know really a sort of an installment plan, but it's, you know, everyone calls it buy now, pay later. It's still, it's still a hot term. Like when we write buy now, pay later stuff, I don't know about you, Andrew, it's still, it still gets, uh, gets good coverage, gets good readership. So people are still interested.
2: And it's that, I I think some of it's the psychology of, if I can pay small amounts, that's different than paying a lump sum in 30 days or 60 or 90 days. I think some of it's, you know, playing with someone's minds.
0: Yeah, okay. I think for- go on. Yeah. Go ahead. Okay. okay. Let's let's move on. Let's move on. So I want to I want to talk about um, this uh, piece. This is a uh, you know big banks with men- mentioning Goldman Sachs and J P Morgan. Another Wall Street Journal article. You know, they're aiming for a Wall Street built on blockchain. And um, you know this is basically talking about what Goldman Sachs is doing. They're already trading bonds. They're trading securities on the blockchain. Um, they're looking to build their own platform. JP Morgan's already built their own platform called Onyx. I found out that in this article, they say it was $350 billion mm-hmm. of, of repo transactions that are processed through the Onyx platform. That's a, that's a large number. And so the point is big banks are still bullish on blockchain. A lot of them are not these sort of public blockchains that uh, that many are used to. This, these are more, um, you yeah, know, private blockchains, but still the technology itself has legs on Wall
2: Street, it seems. I mean, this is yep. the I think the the potential big impact uh, of the technology is if, you know, the example, I think in the article with the Goldman bond that they referenced, it was 100 million and it would take, normally take five days. And this example, it took one hour and it settled. And so that almost immediately eliminates counterparty risk and whether or not they're going to pay up what what is owed. Uh, and if that takes place across Wall Street, I mean, it brings down costs and it, it you know brings down risk significantly if it's you know settled in in a matter of hours.
1: The, I, I've been saying this for for a while. The biggest near term value creation or utility for blockchain or distributed ledger technology is back office Mm -hmm. because back office is so not sexy and nobody really cares about it except the banks that have to pay for it and you know most people on the street you know look at you like you're a loon if you if you ask them what it is but it's just a huge cost it's a huge operational uh um, endeavor and and blockchain can fix and address all that, reducing friction, reducing time, reducing cost. And and that's where you have these incremental costs that are just going to go away. And it's a huge win for big banks. It's a huge win for people that are, you know, pushing boxes of files and papers around. They won't have to do that anymore. And you also won't have to pay those people to push those those piles of paper around anymore. That's a huge value that nobody really cares about. Nobody really talks about except in this article. Right.
0: Okay. Let's move on. Uh, We're going to talk about um, the CFPB. There was an interesting article in American banker this week about um, basically the, the brouhaha that's going down around uh, P2P payments fraud. We've got, you know, there's all this complaints about Zelle that the CFPB are getting, and, you know, because, you know, if you have fraud on a credit card, we all know that we're covered. Um, we, don't have to, we don't have to worry about the charges that a criminal might rack up on our card. And now if you, if you do it through, if you pay someone through Zelle, not the same thing. And uh, CFPB seem to be arguing that it probably should be. But then you look at the laws here and they talk about this Electronic Fund Transfer Act of 1978. <laughs> Okay, this is this is when this is about electronic. <laughs> Did they transfer. have
1: electricity back
0: <laughs> Yeah, they. It was. It, it, and so this this was when banks were electronically transferring funds between each other. There was no, there was no electronics happening between a consumer and a bank or a consumer and a consumer as far as funds go. So that needs to be updated. And like we got to get to the bottom of this because Zelle and Venmo use more and more. Criminals love it. They can they can they can trick people into sending them money, and you know, are are the um, banks going to have to pay? It's going to be it's interesting. Love what what do you think, Andrew?
1: The banks are going to pay, man. You can't fight the CFPB. Don't fight the man. The <laughs> CFPB will win. The banks will sue. It'll go on for years and years and years. It's a it, there's no victory in store for them. But in the end, the consumers really pay because, you know, we'll get nickel and dime with it with it somewhere and and you know what they say about a fool and its money but yeah this it'll be a very popular move for the CFPB because you're just you're removing liability for people's you know stupidity or or people getting you know trapped by nefarious actors which there will always be a lot of people i'm sure each each of you both of you have had your credit card pilfered in, in probably in the recent yep. years and and char- I, I actually once uh, filled the, the gas tank of a large truck in Italy while I was driving around Cleveland, Ohio. And,
2: uh, <laughs> Mine was a, uh, a pet store in Germany.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and American Express called me. When I was driving my car and they say, are you in Italy? No. So you didn't fill it with <laughs> diesel. No, they're like, okay, bye. Um, so yeah, uh, um, CfBv is going to, you know move the liability to the banks it's just going to happen
2: right i think the other part that you know i think uh, peter i think it was aaron klein was, yeah. you know it's highlighted the point i mean we've talked about this before is that you know the the fed system still not being updated uh and yeah they're coming out with fed now sometime in the the near future uh he called it a disgrace in the article some of this would be uh, would be helpful to uh, have this to to solve some of these issues, but um, yeah, I mean, I think the the larger point is the banks are going to have to pay, and ultimately they'll probably pass that on to us. Maybe they can take some of the savings from the blockchain back office and kind of equal <laughs> equal them out. All right, way <laughs> way way to sort of weave that in there, Todd. Okay,
1: perfect. Yeah, yeah.
0: All right, let's let's talk about the Coinbase CEO. He was on CNBC this week. Um, Brian Armstrong, Kate Rooney uh, interviewed him. It was a full half-hour interview. I haven't actually watched the whole thing. I watched the the two-minute highlights. And, um, you know, just basically say it was it was a pretty, I would say, particularly in the highlights, he's he was somewhat contrite and really um, thoughtful and saying, you know what, we're, we're cutting costs. We're trying to get clarity with the SEC. Um, you know, we know that... Um, you know that fee that we, we like trading revenue is 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 going to be compressed eventually because it's just he said that was uh that's inevitable, and um, you know he wants to get he wants to build up his subscription business and it was I mean I think he's got I mean Coinbase has struggled because of the downturn in crypto but I I always am I'm impressed when I hear him speak I'm
2: strong. What do you guys think? I mean the fact I mean he was you rarely get a CEO of a publicly traded company being this transparent uh, in his comments. I mean, many times you get these long winded answers that kind of say nothing <laughs> when they're trying to say a lot, uh, but they ultimately say nothing. And so, you know, I think he was pretty honest um, about the headwinds that they face today, uh, where he wants the business to go. And and they ultimately got ahead of their skis a little bit when, you know it was the the crypto boom and I'm curious when another bull run comes in crypto kind of how different some of these companies operate uh, and how that might um you know turn out versus this time which seems like a lot of them hired a, a shit ton of people to keep up with the volumes when now it's probably going to be a little bit different mm-hmm
1: yeah, I, I think Armstrong's a solid CEO, and you make a good observation there, Todd, But he's a he's a true entrepreneur. Most you know establishment CEOs say a lot, but say nothing at all. And I, I think that it, it's helpful when you have somebody who actually wants to have a conversation. I think Coinbase is doing what a lot of, a lot of other platforms are doing, uh, just from different directions. Because I think in the long run. People want to go to a central provider, a single provider to fulfill many different types of services as opposed to opening multiple apps. And they're just approaching it in a different way. They've got a head start uh, uh, for a lot of things and some things they're behind. I think their biggest uh, risks beyond, um, you know, cost structure and and their their crypto winner or freeze or whatever it is is regulatory and I think that is something that remains unresolved um, I, I want to you know mention the the Gensler op-ed that uh, came out a few days ago yep. talking about um, regulating you know crypto and comparing it to you know seatbelts and cars it's, a, it's, it's an interesting you know allegory but it's very simplistic There's a lot more going on there. There's a lot of battles on Capitol Hill. Uh, Is it a commodity? Is it a security? Is it a utility? Is it none of the above or all of the above? We still don't have resolution on that, and that needs to take place first. And until then, the opaque regulatory environment uh, creates headline risk for all these platforms.
0: And that's the thing. I saw that op-ed and I thought, oh, good. There's going to be some news here. There was nothing. There was basically nope. There was nothing. He just basically, um, you know reiterated what what he what he said in the past. So,
1: yeah, Gensler will tell you anything except what you want to hear, right? Um, but but he's he, he's a he's a politician. He's not a regular.
0: Yeah, exactly. And that's that's the key. I think the, a lot of the stuff that's happening right now is because he has political aspirations or aspirations beyond the SEC let's just say that okay I want to talk about an article in Coindesk this is an interesting one um, talking about Chris Dixon who is the head of uh, Andreessen's crypto arm the the investing arm and he basically was saying that the I love this quote the idea of having the internet controlled by five companies is very bad for entrepreneurs and bad for VCs and so he's talking about how the balance of the, the the balance of power that with web three, we can, we can sort of take that balance and bring it and make it more, you know, egalitarian, shall we say. I
2: mean, there are some people like Jack Dorsey who disagree <laughs> and put out there that the, uh, the current web three still incentivizes the VCs and they can cobble mm-hmm. up tokens and, and they can uh, take ownership. Um, you know, our, all of our hope is that web three is, is, Um, you know, more democratic than web two was. Um, I think it still remained to be seen. I think the other interesting part was, you know, that we've heard many times is the crypto winter is a great time to buy and great time to invest and build. Uh, And while there'll be some pain, um, there'll be a lot that comes out of it. That's beneficial for the market overall.
1: Right. Yeah. I'm going to disagree with uh, Dixon. I I don't think that it's, it's a bad thing that you have, Uh, large tech, um, you know, I wouldn't say controlling, but, you know, being a highway for the the global Internet. These large companies have generated enormous and incredible value. They took something that that really didn't exist just a couple decades ago, and, and they made it made it incredibly uh, uh, viable, you know, driving productivity and and fostering a, a new generation of entrepreneurs and innovation. So to sit there and say it's bad, I think it's bullshit. I think you know I, I'm gonna I'm gonna call him out on that. That's wrong. Um, but things do change and things will evolve. The one thing you can always count on is you know change never stops, and and that's where people like Dixon and many other people see you know Web three being the next iteration you know obviously web one web two web three uh whether it'll come to fruition in the way they envision it i don't know i still think you know we're in like you know the first days or 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 weeks we have a long ways to go before uh, a lot of this stuff manifests itself in in a way that you know really is going to you know drive value and you look at some of these big tech firms a lot of them you know took you know a long time to really establish themselves and uh but I think there's there's a lot of opportunity there, and I agree. You know, a downturn when there's blood in the street—that's when you buy.
0: Yep, yep. That's what he also said in that piece. So, um, let's uh, let's move to an article in Bloomberg that came out this morning talking about Bank of America. Um, Bank of America, not really. Haven't we haven't talked about them much on the show? There's not a whole lot been happening, but they have. Um, they've had they had 2.8 billion logins in their electronic platforms last quarter It's basically a billion a month um, and they uh, so they're consequently basically the articles about they're beefing up their tech offerings they've got a new they got, they got a guy in charge of um, bringing out this uh, improving their existing systems adding on new systems so just thought I'd just mention it real quick because I think you know they're they're kind of a I said you we don't, don't hear from them very don't hear often. From them. They're, they're, they're hear like from,
2: a sleeping giant in a way and we don't Yeah, it's um, like you hear Jamie Dimon, JP Morgan, you hear our cities restructuring and kind of bringing um you know everyone back to the US kind of getting out of the global markets and then it's just like Bank of America slowly and and underneath everyone uh building and and some of their digital offerings have been you know adopted by their users probably more than any other big bank. Mhm.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, this is, you know, honestly, you know, I saw the headline and I skipped it uh, because I'm like, if it's not clear to every financial service industry participant in the world right now that everything is going digital and we're going to be managing everything on our iPhone, well, then there's, you know, we're all doing something wrong, I guess. (laughs) Fair enough. I mean, you know, good, good Lord. I mean, yeah, people are logging in online. I, 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 I will mention that. We had a short piece recently where we, uh, the CMA, the Competition and Markets Authority in the UK, uh, was talking about they did a survey of the most popular banks in the UK. As you guys know, has long been dominated by four or five high street banks, where they just did whatever they want. And but it's also a very robust market for fintechs and digital banks. And and one and two were you know Monzo and Starling, Starling and Monzo. Mm-hmm. So. I don't know about, you know, if they've done prior uh, uh, surveys, but it just it shows that that, you know, people are looking for convenience. They're looking for value. They're not looking to go wait in a queue at a, a Bank of America, uh, um, you know, retail location. Who wants to do that? I mean, you know, it's like who wants to go to the, to, to, to the dentist? I don't want to go. Right. Um, <laughs> okay anyway let's let's let's
0: let's let's end with uh with going staying over on the pond here andrew and uh one that um i know a company that you follow very closely cedars um they just crossed two billion pounds so just just give us a give us a rundown of what's going on there
1: yeah so um they had a, a, a short note on their site that it took them eight years to get to 1 billion in online capital formation and this is you know, early stage startups, you know, uh, growth stage, you know, venture firms. Uh, and it's taken them two years to top that next billion. So you, you're seeing some growth there in a very nascent market, but a very important one. And I think it's going to continue uh, to head in that that direction Uh and specifically with CEDARS due to two things. They've been acquired by Republic. Republic is one of the largest platforms in the United States that has global ambitions. Uh, They're they're gearing up in Asia. This is their European venture. And the uh, um, harmonization of the regulatory environment for online capital formation in the European Union, uh, which will effectively go into place. I think now they pushed it back to next year, but that's gonna create a huge opportunity for, for raising money online for private firms globally Mm -hmm. and so you know kudos to them kudos to the industry this is something that you know had a lot of initial love uh but then kind of you know you know due to to crypto and other things people lost interest but i think it's you know full steam ahead you're going to see ongoing growth and like Coinbases of the world and like some of these other platforms they're going to start offering more features in bigger services over time to make it easier for people to get the services they want in one location. Right.
0: Okay. Well, that's it. We're out. We are over time. Um, I have to leave it there. Thank you, Todd. Thank you, Andrew. Thanks, just Andrew. Be- before we go though, Thank just a quick, a quick plug for our merge event, which is happening in London. It's going to be where all talking all about the intersection of web three and traditional finance, October 17th and 18th in London. Uh, go to fintechnexus.com to find out more. And with that, uh, we'll be back same time next week. I don't know if Todd's going to be with us though. He is uh, expecting a baby any day okay. now. Congratulations,
1: so, uh, soon Thank be you. Congratulations.
0: Baby number two is on the way very soon. And, very soon. Um, <laughs> we also, I will be here, and uh, we will. I will have. We'll have. We will have another great news show. I'm sure. So thanks again, guys. We'll uh, see you next time. Bye.
1: Right. See ya. Thank you. Thank you, Peter. Thank you, Todd.